happy Sue Gray Day and welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's Deputy Online Political Editor, Lizzie Buckham. Morning, Lizzie. Morning. Now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions and we'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to scream at trees. Uh, Charlie says, already, what's going down, Fleet Street Fox? Well, keep tuned, Charlie, and you may find out. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the pictures that we have all been waiting for of the Prime Minister raising a glass of plonk at what he implicitly believed was a work event. And most of the world thinks looks very much like a party. Now, last night and this morning, he's been uh, practising his excuses and reading his copy of the long-awaited Partygate report by Sue Gray. And later on, he's going to be in the House of Commons for an extended period of political torture. So, Lizzie, take us through this. What are his excuses going to be, do we think? And how could he possibly try to wriggle out of this one? Well, it's going to be a difficult day for the PM and for everyone sort of involved in in number 10 in Whitehall, who a lot of people implicated in this. Um, we understand that they received hard copies of the Sue Gray, Sue Gray report in, in Downing Street in the last few minutes. So um, one of my colleagues has just written a story saying that that's, that's just been delivered. So they're going to be frantically getting their copies, having a look and seeing what's in there. And at this stage, we don't know yet what kind of the extent what what the extent of the report is there's been a lot of briefing um and kind of back and forth in recent days about you know is it going to include photographs who's going to be named in it will it just be very senior people will some other officials be named um and what how you know how tough is sue sue gray going to be on the prime minister and on the culture in downing street so obviously they're going to have been preparing for all different kinds of scenarios but we you know only now will the pm really be seeing the extent of what this is so that's what they're they're you know i wouldn't i'd, well, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in number 10 right now but you wouldn't want to be in this situation and i think i think they accept it's going to be a pretty difficult day i imagine there's going to be a lot of highlighters out and a lot of um a lot of uh, sort of gaming of pmqs and how things are going to go and, and people pretending to be various backbenchers and what they might say. Now, Dee says, it's one rule, nothing unusual. There's one rule for him and his rich buddies and another rule for us. Don't look over there, nothing to see here. Don't look here, look over there, nothing to see here, she says. Now, <clears throat> inside on pages four and five, uh, the mirror's quoting from last night's Panorama interviews with uh, several unnamed people present at these Wine Time Fridays. And then the main picture there is the one that was uh, sourced by Paul Brand on ITV News. But our Pippa, who broke this story six months ago, goes a step further, too. So there is a further picture which she's found, uh, which is talking about opening the COVID secure bar on a WhatsApp group over there on the right hand side. Table covered in donuts, cakes, bottles of wine. I mean, I don't know how many people work in the Downing Street press office, but it does look like there's a bottle each there pretty much. Um, <clears throat> now, she's found a source as well who says that the Downing Street custodians, those are security guards to you and me, um, they sent emails warning against these gatherings when they started happening during lockdown. And one even turned up and tried to stop it. But, and I quote, people made fun of him because he was so worked up. That kind of thing is, if that is substantiated anywhere in Sue Gray's report, that's going to be particularly sticky isn't it the fact that they were told at the time to stop doing it and they mocked those people and sent them away if that's true 
Yeah, that's really damaging because I think the one of the main cruxes of the defence made by Boris Johnson at every stage and everybody involved in this project is that, you know, that either these were work events or they were things that were allowed within the rules because it was people who had been in an office together. The prime minister had just popped in. You know, that's that's the defence that I think they're going to try to use for the photo of him raising that toast. Because you can see in the front of the picture, there's his ministerial red box, which is the kind of big red case that's on the chair in front mm-hmm. of him. That's where he gets all of his uh, government papers, things that are really important for his attention. He takes that home every night. Now, you know, the PM lives in a flat above number 11 Downing Street. So their argument is, is that he's got his red box, he's taking all his papers in, he pops in, raises a toast, and then goes back upstairs and carries on working. So that's the kind yeah. of I thing that they would argue that having a, have, raising a glass at a leaving do and to say goodbye to a colleague is, is a part of a normal routine in, in an office, uh, is part of a normal working That's uh, the sort of argument. That's the sort of argument they'll try to they've been trying to make. But the issue is, is that, you know, no one else was allowed to do that in their offices. And also, you know, the sources are all contradicting themselves. Number 10 say that, but number 10 also said no rules were ever broken. And we know that that isn't true. And we've reported several times uh recently and in you know the last couple of months about this specific event that the PM is raising the glass at that he instigated the party that it was his idea he gathered people around he encouraged people to take a drink and I think one of the issues that is going to come out around the Sue Gray report is the fact that lots of junior staff members in Downing Street you know civil servants people maybe in their 20s you know not very experienced not very powerful going invited to parties where the prime minister says oh, yeah, I'm going to have a drink. And so they think, okay, well, I can't say no. You know, the prime minister's here. It must be fine. And when you look at this sort of reporting that we've got about, um, you know, the, the, the security guards raising concerns, that undermines the kind of explanation that is being given by Downing Street that everybody thought it was fine and it was a work event. Because if they're being warned in advance that it could break the rules by security guards and other people, then they can't, they can't, that doesn't hold up. No, it doesn't hold up at all, does it? Now, Mike says, will Simon Case, that's the top civil servant, head of the civil service, works in Downing Street alongside Boris Johnson, Sir Humphrey, if you like, will Simon Case prostrating himself under the Save Boris bus be enough? There is discussion that Simon is going to be one of those uh, who has to fall on his sword, basically, in order to protect the prime minister. He stayed there despite the fact there's been some other resignations in the last couple of months. So, um it's possible that apparently that I think it's the independent that's reporting today that uh, there are some plans for him to resign at some point today, perhaps to deflect some attention. Leo says, Oi, lefty, answer my question. Uh, this one, why don't you bash Labour when they've done the same? Oh, that question. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what, Leo, uh, possibly not your real picture there. I bet you don't look like a lion. Um, the reason that we haven't bashed Labour when they've done the same is because they haven't done the same. We have discussed Beergate quite a lot when it's been in the papers. But so far, what we have with Keir Starmer's allegations uh, is that there is um, one legal gathering at which there was an illegal curry and beer at the end of, which was not followed by work. That's the allegation. Labour says it was followed by work. The allegations about Boris Johnson are that there were 22, by my spreadsheet, alleged illegal gatherings that they should never even have been in the same place 
And as also, you can see from just one or two of those pictures there, it's far more than a beer involved. Also, um, you can make the point on this as well that um, it's not even alleged law-breaking. The police find people <laughs> for... Uh, events over eight dates you know that's what that whole so that those parties are illegal by the Met Police's estimation 126 fines were handed out so we know that those were illegal gatherings so you know obviously it's important for the police to look at the Keir Starmer allegations as well I would say that that is only one event you know we're looking at like the police looked at 12 events, Sue Gray's looked at 16 in Downing Street, and we yesterday reported another one that wasn't even looked at. I mean, you can see that there were clearly, I don't think anyone would deny that there is clearly a culture in Downing Street during the pandemic, and they yeah. were making the rules. And so that's the difference, I suppose. And also, I suppose it's worth pointing out that when, when usually when journalists start reporting on something that's someone's done something wrong like Pippa did in November when she reported on the first Boris Johnson linked party uh, it is often precipitate uh, follows like a, a stream of other people going oh yeah this happened and this happened and this happened these other ones all come in too different media outlets and since Keir Starmer's uh, allegation there haven't been dozens of allegations about other parties and other events there's been no discussions of wine fridges or suitcases or karaoke machines um I, the thought of Keir Starmer in a karaoke machine makes my eyes bleed a bit um so I, I, it's not quite the same allegation at all and he's not in the same position especially as he said he will resign if he's found to have broken the law which Boris Johnson of course is has not and will not. Now, Lynn says today, Labour had a beer on election night uh, and there's evidence they was working. They didn't have balloons and a DJ. Sorry, I know who I'd rather vote for. And all the party uh, goes at the num goers at the number 10 party should all go. They made the rules. I bet they had a good old laugh at the poor people who followed them. I don't think they even thought about people like us that followed them, Lynn, to be honest. I don't think we computed across their minds. Jim says, any workplace I've ever worked in, there's been a zero tolerance to alcohol. If you were having a farewell do, it was away from the workplace. Uh, quite right, Jim. And I would say, and I'm sure Lizzie would as well, as journalists who have a reputation for being fairly hard drinking and misbehaving in the office, doing all sorts of things, um, I've never been part of a leaving do that happened in the office. And I've never been encouraged to drink booze in the office it's never been available and as I've said here once before I brought a bottle of champagne in once when I got my book deal in uh, 2012 and I was told off very thoroughly by my boss because we were on deadline at the time <laughs> but so you know it doesn't go down well in, in newsrooms it really shouldn't be happening probably in Downing Street um, Margaret says did Boris lie to the house this is one of the questions he's going to face today isn't it Lizzie um our heads are are going to have to roll, obviously. Um, it does sound like junior civil servants were probably heckling the security guards, if those allegations from Pippa are true. But the question on everyone's lips is how this greased piglet that is our Prime Minister is, is going to get out of this. We've got Tom Tugendhat, a Tory backbencher, saying it's difficult to have confidence in the government. There, Many of the usual suspects are on manoeuvres. And it's more than likely there'll be some more letters of no confidence going to the 1922 committee in an effort to trigger a leadership contest. But, you know, Lizzie, what are the chances of actually hitting that magic number of 54 letters and then finding, what is it, like 180 odd Tory MPs who are prepared to actually vote him out of office in the vote itself? It's going to be tricky, I think. I mean, the, the time that 
the PM was really in danger was February, really. That was when it felt that the public mood and the mood in the Conservative Party was really turning against him. Um, and things were really getting quite difficult. And the, obviously the the horrific invasion of Ukraine by Russia changed the picture in terms of, you know, the politics around it and meant that the focus was rightly on other things. But I think conservative backbenchers always talk a really big game about what they're going to do. And lots of them don't put letters in. Some of them do and don't tell you. Some of them put them in and take them out again. So it's always worth remembering how long it took them to get rid of Theresa May in you know, 2019, and how she won her confidence vote as well. And she was much weaker than Boris Johnson. So it's always worth remembering that. I, I do think that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of Conservative MPs held their fire until this moment. They wanted to know why the, you know, what Sue Gray said. And it depends what she says. It depends how excruciating it is. It depends how the Prime Minister reacts. You know, if he is very contrite, if he makes lots of promises about things that you know that he's going to do to change things if he comes out with a huge package on cost of living or whatever the you know the 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 Tory MPs might feel you know that they'll give him another chance uh but it's all it's it's always hard to know at this point the mood in parliament doesn't feel quite as febrile as it did at the start of the year but you know things can change very quickly yeah, and a lot of a lot of Tory MPs are worried about other things as well. I think at the moment was that perhaps they weren't so much before Christmas. Uh, now there is also, of course, the Parliamentary uh, Standards Committee. Uh, oh, look, Mikey's just come to work. Hi, Mikey. Um, the Standards Committee, which is uh, going to be considering whether or not Boris lied to the House. There's further problems there, although they may not be able to report back until after recess, which is the autumn. Now, Rob says, why couldn't the leaving party be held online as we had to when our colleagues left during the pandemic? Happened at the Mirror as well, didn't it, Lizzie? We, I've had lots of round Robin emails going, so-and-so's left, come to a Zoom. Why yeah. couldn't they do that? I mean, they were working together during the day, to be fair. They are key workers. I think that's the thing. I think, you know, most people in Downing Street were in the office throughout the entire pandemic. There was much less working from home there. And so I think they just were in this bubble where they were all in the office together already. They assumed it was fine as part of the kind of work that they were doing. And I think they just didn't really think it through or they got so wound up in, you know, they got so sort of stuck in the bubble that they were in that they just didn't realise or think through that how this would look to everybody else. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Now, Debbie says, how many chances does that man get? Uh, he's about to have another one, Debbie. Now, get into the comments. Ask us your questions. What do you think about what Boris is going to have to go through today? Do you think it's fair and reasonable? Do you think he's just going to apologise a few times and not really mean it and move on to the next thing? Do you think he should resign? Do you think this doesn't matter? Let us know. But uh, now, speaking of things that do get completely out of hand, um, as I suggested on this show on Monday when Jason Beattie was on, this government stands ready to throw another dead cat on the table as soon as today is over. There are reports that on Thursday, Rishi Sunak is finally going to announce a package of financial measures to ease the cost of living crisis, which he's been begged to do for ages. Um, and this page shows that he really needs to do that. It's got nurses using food banks. It's got the fact groceries have gone up 7% in a month. Where are we? Zimbabwe. Uh, and Ofgem now says the fuel price cap is going to go up again in October to almost £3,000 a year. 
But there at the top, we've got Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, taking a £10,000 trip in a helicopter because how else would one get to a party in Wales? Now, Lizzie, do we know what kind of measures he might introduce? Uh, is he ever going to tax, oh, I don't know, carbon-heavy helicopter-flying multimillionaires? I don't think they're the top of his priority list. Um, no, I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a stark comparison, isn't it? I mean, obviously, yeah, the head of Ofshem yesterday make, were making that sort of declaration that the, we knew that, obviously, that the price cap goes up. They review it twice a year. And we knew that in October it was going to be, it was probably going to be pretty bad. But this is definitely on the upper end of what has been expected suggested by analysts and so it's quite interesting that um he that jonathan Brilly, the head of Ofsham, came out and said that yesterday because it sort of shows that maybe that the context of what the government's about to do but yeah that's the picture that's the kind of background obviously that's a huge increase the price cap only just went up in april you know people are getting absolutely clobbered by rising bills rising inflation all of that sort of thing and the government yeah, has been <laughs> you know, Rishi Sunak's been really resistant to a lot of the changes that have been called for. But the government has been saying for weeks that it doesn't rule out um, anything, that it doesn't rule out a windfall tax, but just not saying what it will do, what it wants to do. And clearly they've been sort of panicking behind the scenes, trying to figure out exactly what direction they want to go in. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of kind of conflict between different ministers about how to approach this. Do we want to raise taxes? Do we not? Um, so that's kind of been obviously been quite tricky. And I think number 10 insists that there's nothing in the timing of this, that, you know, it's not an attempt to distract from the Sue Gray report. It's just a coincidence. But, you know, they've been saying for a while that they were going to bring something forward on cost of living and the fact that it's tomorrow. I don't know if the cynics among you could draw something from that. But yes, I, yeah. think, I think we would, quite frankly. Uh, you know, day two of Partygate, thump, something more important has come along for everyone to talk about. What a surprise. Uh, it, uh, the fact that they were perhaps sitting here waiting for this to happen and then dump it for political reasons while people are suffering and going to food banks and could have done with the help a week or two ago is uh, one for their consciences, perhaps. Um, but it's they have got to do something. Pensions, for example, people on fixed incomes, they've gone up 3% this year and inflation's at about 10%. So, you know, it means that pensioners are going into poverty. It means that people on benefits are going into poverty. So they've been urged to talk about universal credit and bring back the £20 basic payment, which I don't think is going to. That uplift we had in COVID, they're talking about um, doing something to try and help people at the bottom. But of course, those the people at the bottom are the people they, they tend to think of least and they they also been briefings about a windfall tax but only on companies that don't put enough investment into britain so of course they'll all put a bit of money into britain and then not just enough to not pay the windfall tax and then straight out again really is what i'd do anyway justin says the dead cat was contrived months ago for after the report they are a joke um, I, if they were a joke they'd be funny justin i think and, uh, <laughs> I think it's probably not quite as organised as that, I, but I, I do think they're, they are related. I think there are, you know, yeah. the timing of this. Gosh, a disorganised government. I think. How wonderful. <laughs> I know. I don't think they would have been clever enough. Or, and also the picture, to be fair, the picture has changed quite a lot, particularly since the invasion of Ukraine um, and the pressures that put, has put on, you know, 
global gas prices, the sanctions on Russia, the, the you know the food shortages, that sort of thing. That has all put a pressure. It has put pressure on the market as well. And I think you know the the Chancellor originally wanted to wait until late later in the year, basically because they knew that the price cap was going to go up and so they wanted to wait until maybe you know September that sort of time just end of summer to before they acted um, and Rishi Sunak sort of tried to express it and express it very badly by saying oh it would be silly for us to act now when prices when the price cap's going to go up which obviously landed really badly because it's not silly to try and help people who are ever no, everybody's really course. struggling. And he um, keeps saying, we stand ready. We stand ready. Mate, yeah. it's time. There's no point being ready. Come on, cough. That's mm. how it goes. Uh, it's amazing. If we all had his, uh, if we're in his WhatsApp group and had some dodgy face masks to sell, we'd all get a billion pounds, wouldn't we? Now, um, thank you for that, Lizzie. Thank you for explaining. Now, keep asking us your questions, everybody. What do you think about Partygate? What do you think about what Boris is going to be going through today? Do you th- what would you like to see Rishi Sunak do uh, in terms of easing the cost of living crisis? Do you want him to raise benefits? Do you want him to tax businesses more? Do you want him to cut taxes for businesses? Uh, there's been so many briefings coming and going about what they're doing. Uh, they've just raised taxes, corporation tax, 6%, and now they're talking about cutting it a bit again, which is still a rise, so... It's all a bit mad. Who knows what's going on? Maybe Rishi will deign to, us, deign to tell us when uh, he gets out of his helicopter next. Now, but first off, we have some other stuff to do. So uh, there is some good news in the world. Uh, and here it is. Now, lots of people think, right, the Queen's Jubilee is an opportunity for flag waving, uh, possibly a bit neo-Nazi, nationalistic, uh, and being a bit ridiculous. But uh, for Dutch-born lady called Shanna Klein, there she is, having a hug with her, gra- her daughter, who's in uh, Emmerdale, granddaughter, I should say. And she's 83, Shanna is, and she gets even more gooey about Great Britain than most people do. She is a Holocaust survivor, and she joins those who outlived horrific massacres as well in Rwanda and Bosnia uh, for a special Jubilee dinner where she told our reporter uh, how much she loves and adores Britain for taking her in. Now, it's a great read, and there's some amazing personal stories in this. I really suggest people make an effort to dig it out and have a read of it, because you will learn a lot, and you will feel happy and glowing by the end of it, trust me. Um, But right at the end, something extra special happens. So the Queen, who couldn't go to the meeting, couldn't go to the dinner, she sent her thanks to the survivors of genocide. She tells them she owes them a debt for coming to this country and enriching it with their diversity, their culture and their hard work. Racists everywhere, please take note. Now, Lizzie, is is this proof, do you think, that patriotism beats nationalism every time and it doesn't really matter where you're born it's it's what you make of it that matters yeah it's just a really lovely piece it's really moving all of the different you know the different stories in it and also I thought it was really nice to think about the fact that obviously for so many of us the queen has been on the throne for more for our entire lifetimes and our parents' lifetimes sometimes. And it's kind of interesting that they pick out the element in here that lots of them, you know, she's one of the few remaining people who remember some of these things now and and are able to sort of, you know, that she's that consistency and that has been that figure for all of these people who've come to our country and rebuilt their lives um, and a sort of figurehead for that. So that, I thought that was really nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's a very 
the kind of thing that we always all need to remember, particularly when we're thinking about the fact that our government's trying to send asylum seekers to Rwanda and about, you know, the disastrous handling of accepting Ukrainian refugees into this country that in the past that, you know, this is that Britain is the kind of place that is often warm and welcoming that people here are, have built our lives entwined with people from all sorts of places and that we would do well to remember that, that how much that strengthens our country. Yes, that's the one thing I suppose the Queen and people of her generation have is perspective, some historical perspective to see actually how the world and how the country has changed from 1952 when she took the throne to now and that she sees that uh, the, the immigration and the help for other people who needed it has enriched us all and that's worth bearing in mind perhaps when those here today, gone today politicians want to blow the dog whistle and say, immigration bad. Not always, actually. Now, um, someone called What The On About, possibly not the real name, says, is there any CCTV from the shops where they bought all these bottles of wine? Uh, I'm sure all the journalists rushed down to the Westminster Tesco when we heard about the, uh, the suitcase of booze um, and asked if there was any CCTV. Lizzie, what was the response? I don't think anyone's been able to find that either in the Westminster Tesco or the uh, famous co-op on the Strand where they went with the suitcase of wine. Um, I mean, it obviously was something that was happening repeatedly um, and constantly. I mean, in our piece, we talk about you know, that they got their own wine fridge in that uh, they had delivered because it was so popular, all of this drinking. So I think, you know, it, it, you can see that it was a pattern more than anything else. Yeah. Now, Mike says those Tory MPs who spoke and voted against a windfall tax when the opposition raised it are going to look a little bit foolish when it's announced. <sighs> uh, another issue of party management, perhaps, for the Conservatives, because they've, they've got some issues with loyalty and so on on the back benches when they say something and some people have to defend something and then do a U-turn later on. So if Rishi does announce a windfall tax, the chances are he's, he's going to try and tweak it so they can find a way to say this isn't the thing Labour wanted, we've gone something better, aren't we? Yeah, they'll try and repackage it and make it not look like it was something that Labour came up with because they'll want to take all the credit for it. But, you know, you make a good point that a lot of MPs were forced, Tory MPs were whipped to vote against that and they're not going to be particularly happy about that now because it's pretty popular policy. Um, you know, they've done the Conservative did quite a lot of internal polling found it's quite a popular policy across the board and most of the sort of big oil and gas companies said that they were fine with it that they would mm. you know that they wouldn't remove their operations they wouldn't you know so it's really only members of like some it's an ideological issue about tax for some members of the cons the cabinet yeah fundamentally but the reason they're making lots of money is because they uh the, the people who are exploring, who are digging up the oil and the gas, didn't have to, didn't make so much money during the pandemic because there was a bit of a crunch. And so then they started, there was, a, then there was a bit of a supply problem after the pandemic and the world opened back up again. Then the war in Ukraine, which has made things a bit more in demand, and they've ramped the prices up to cover up for the loss they made in the previous two years. And then they've gone a bit further and a bit further and a bit further because people are having to pay it. There comes a point, of course, where people will just start nicking it out of the pipelines if they carry on this way. I'm going to go and tap one myself and stick a barrel underneath it. Um, 
So I have to see how that goes. Now, Misha says, what's the betting that despite all the evidence, Boris Johnson just denies reality and tries to gaslight everyone today? Is he going to turn around and tell everybody that they were at a party and they just forgotten all about it and he was the only one who was sober? Or is he going to say, you know, the hello, Pippa. Um, Pippa's just arrived. Thanks for ruining my story. Uh, I'll pass that on. <laughs> um, is he just going to tell everybody that, you know, the rules were just too difficult to follow and he didn't understand quite what he'd told everyone else to do? I think he'll try to be very, he'll, he'll try to be really apologetic. He'll try to appear contrite but he you know he's not going to he's not going to resign he's not going to he'll find a way to sort of as as you know as they suggested try and make it sound like it isn't as bad as it was and he'll that's obviously a difficult line to tread but that's what they're going to be trying to do I think yeah I'm sorry I got the advice I got it wrong someone else is going to resign that's what it's it's going to be probably now Michael says they are shameless. They will go on. They have an 80-seat majority. The Red Wall MPs are spineless. Only the Tory MPs can kick him out at the moment. The Met doesn't apply the law without fear or favour, and a general election is needed. Michael, we've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. There's a definite sort of fin de siècle sense to the whole thing, coming to, I think, the end of a, of a long period of one party's reign. What happens at the next election, who knows? But uh, <clears throat> I don't think we're going to get it early. And there is absolutely no reason for Boris Johnson to think that he has to go now. So if he doesn't need to resign and he's not going to get booted by his party, he's going to stay exactly he where he is. Mm. And mm. that's uh, that's what we're all going to have to put up with, I think, for the next couple of years until we see how things pan out from there. <clears throat> and I'm sure that after that period, he'll go on and make an absolute fortune as ex-prime minister and terrible writer of books. Boris Johnson. But we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Anyway, we've got all that to look forward to. Um, thank you, Lizzie, for joining us. Uh, thank you to the entire Mira Westminster office for being nice and quiet in the background. Um, and thank you, everyone, for taking part. We will be back with some more news agendas after half term. So uh, come back, I think it's the 7th of June, and we'll see you all again. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>